Good evening, and welcome to Boom Radio. My name is Nathan Wood, and we've got something a bit different for you on tonight's broadcast. We'll be telling the story of the local borough of Burnt Island's cinematic history, starting as far back as World War I and looking at the many stories from the past up until present day. We hope you enjoy this production. The year is 1914, and the Archduke Franz Ferdinand has been assassinated. Austrian Archduke assassinated. Tensions rising throughout Europe. Germany invades Belgium in order to move their forces into France, forcing Britain and many other nations into war. Sir, they've invaded Belgium. Now you'll have to go to war. As the world enters one of the most shocking and unknowing times in history, the borough of Burnt Island at least have one respite, the Palace Cinema. It is known that through these difficult times, people often found much comfort within the cinema, a piece of escapism that distracted citizens from what was happening at the time. Imagine the excitement as you walk down the high street stopping at Lowe's on a Saturday evening to pick up your quarter of sweeties for the two pence, or maybe up the cobbled streets of the Kirkgate to stop at Mrs. Campbell's Baller just in time for the 8 o'clock showing of Charlie Chaplin's latest antics, with the talented musical accompaniment of Mrs. Fraser's improvisations and the amazing talent of continuing to sneak a sweetie out of the bag while still playing, the Palace Cinema was certainly a sight to behold. You might have even been lucky enough to see the world-famous Harry Houdini on his final world tour, what a treat. Along with all of these amazing things happening at the Palace Cinema, they also had local matinees every Wednesday and Saturday, Sing-alongs were a big hit, and the added feature of violinists and drummers on a Friday evening really set the weekends off to a joyful start. Palace Cinema was one of a kind, but it was not the only cinema in Burnt Island at this time. The Port Cinema, located on the High Street and managed by Mr. Tom Lund, was also playing the silent pictures that everybody loved so much. The port had been built in 1915 and also had a lot to offer. Resident pianist Mrs. Kinnear accompanied many a feature, such as the Cowboy and Indians and Our Gang. Miss Stocks across the road supplied many a sweet tooth with her confection for the evening. A Mrs. Betty Duckworth, writing in an issue of the Borough Buzz in 2004, recalls her childhood memories of the port cinema. My family had moved temporarily to a tenement house in Somerville Street when I was about 10 or 11. In the same building lived my pal of that time, Jenny Moody. Our Saturdays were always the same. About 1.30 we made our way up Union Street and crossed over to the fruit shop directly opposite. Every week we bought the same. A halfpenny spoiled fruit and a halfpenny worth of peanut brittle. The spoiled fruit was usually an apple with a bash in it. We knew the assistant then along to the cinema with our tuppence entry. At two o'clock the show began and you could tell how much the children enjoyed it by the noise they made. Sometimes there was singing with the words on the screen and a bouncing ball jumping over the words. I remember Tiptoe Through the Tulips was one and Song of the Nile, and the one all the children liked was I Scream, You Scream, We All Scream for Ice Cream. The show finished dead on four o'clock and the cinema emptied by side and front doors 
Incidentally, the cinema was just the width of the screen, and I've heard it alluded to as the coffin, and I also heard someone say it was like looking at a picture of a close. Anyway, the young ones had no fault to find. of November, 1918. Germany signs an armistice, a peace treaty outside of Compagnie, France, and a railroad cart, which caused the fighting to stop and marks the end of World War I. The world celebrated this day with street parties, fireworks, church services, and cheering. A quote from the partaker in the celebration writes, the day the war ended was a weird and wonderful carnival, rather than the day of mournful seriousness that Armistice Day would become in later years. The Armistice brought church services and tears, but it was a day of joy, spontaneity, noise and fun. Although the end of the First World War was more a cause for celebration than anything else that had happened within the lifetime of the people affected by its horrors, there was a huge amount to be mournful over. Over nine million lives were lost, and the soldiers who returned would never be the same again, now wielding mental and physical scars and the inability to forget what they experienced and the friends they lost throughout the fighting. May we always remember the sacrifices that were made to secure the freedom of the people of today. Andrew Maxwell, the manager at the Palace Cinema, retires in the mid-twenties, giving way to previous assistant manager Miss Mackey and promoting her to manager. However, not long after the palace closes its doors as a cinema, the company that owned the palace cinema bought the port in 1931, and with the retirement of Mr. Lunn, with a sequential promotion of Miss Mackey, a new era begins with the introduction of talkies. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Wait a minute, I tell you. You ain't heard nothing. You wanna hear good, good, good speech? All right, hold on. For the first time, people could experience the cinema with the actors on the screen talking to each other. Gone were the harsh cuts to subtitles. This allowed for a huge creative push in cinema, and allowed so many more grand stories to be told. Now not only could you hear the characters talking to each other, but there was also singing and music, the sound effects of the Mafia's Tommy guns, the screeching tires of a getaway vehicle, accents of people from around the world with catchy remarks. I'm gonna give it that pretty nose right in the head the first time I see him. Yeah, you and who else? Cinema had certainly changed forever. The people of Burnt Island, like the rest of the world, must have loved this new technology. One resident, Albert Gunn, recalls his first time seeing a movie with sound. We were given the newsreels in the cinemas. The talkies had come, of course with the building of the new cinema at the port. And I can remember there, by the way, the first film, I can remember it. I'll always remember it. I think it was fourpence in old money. Fourpence and sixpence. The posh seats were sixpence. But fourpence, that was our target. And I managed to rake this fourpence up and join the queue. And literally, as I was going up the steps at the front to the box, when they said the fourpenny seats are full, so I didn't get in. So I had to come back the next night and queue again. Oh, no. And I can remember that picture. It was King Kong. Was beauty killed the beast. Beauty killed the beast. With the coming changes in cinema, 
and with the black and white pictures slowly becoming a thing of the past and sound productions becoming the norm, the cinemas are growing ever more popular. The Picture House Company knows this and puts plans ahead to develop a new palace cinema in the centre of town. This would be a super deluxe cinema, purpose built, with a huge seating capacity and the latest equipment and two shops being built alongside it. The plans go ahead. With Miss Mackey as the manager, the construction of the new cinema begins. Sunday 3rd of September 1939, a broadcast from British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain. This morning, the British ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock, that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. Within the first month of the war, already 1,473,000 children were evacuated from large cities, mainly London, in an operation known as Pied Piper. The full conscription of men aged 18 to 41 and able-bodied was given to the British Armed Forces, and reports of concentration camps for anti-Nazis and Jews being built are received. Despite the acts of war going on throughout the planet, the construction of the new palace cinema is completed one month after the war begins. The efforts made by Miss Mackey to continue the build and everyone else involved were commended. The Fife Free Press reported on the opening on the 14th of October 1939. The above cinema was opened Wednesday afternoon, 11th October 1939 by Provost Leith, together with members of town council and their wives. Provost Smith of Falkirk, presided as chairman of directors of the Burnt Island Associated Pictures Limited and expressed great pleasure to welcome Provost Leith, who in turn said it was a great honour to open such a magnificent cinema and could be recommended wherever one went and hoped the townspeople would support the directors and management by patronising the new cinema and have all the success it deserved. An occasion that must have brought a great amount of joy to the locals and the people involved in the build through these troubling times. Once again, the power of the cinema now in its new era has provided respite and escapism to those going through a historically horrific time. It's interesting to think that the first palace cinema was built at the beginning of the First World War, and now the second has finished construction at the beginning of World War II, both providing a place for families and couples and children, all to feel safe for a while and to escape from the politics of war and indulge in the magic of film. The new palace cinema had two shops built alongside it. It could seat around 1,000 guests, some on the lower floors, others on the balcony. The foyer was a grand sight. Norman Mackey describes it in an article saying, When you walked into the foyer of the picture house, you had a kiosk on your right. And 
In the centre of the foyer was the cash box. And uh, downstairs you had sitting for approximately 800 people. Beautifully furnished, right? And each seat, behind each seat, was one ash tree. So there was over a thousand ash trees in the pictures, counting 200 in the balcony. Now, you on the left was this wonderful staircase and long glass windows with beautiful reindeers in lead. Uh, yes, they were in lead and lead in the windows. And the decor in the lounge, the panels had also reindeers painted on the panels. And the beautiful carpet had matching basket chairs, balloon chairs. And there you were, a beautiful lounge for people waiting either to go into the picture house or when they were finished and had a seat before they went home. And this lovely view and curtains to match the decor made it a most beautiful picture house. The first week's programme with movies at 60 and 90 or sixpence and ninepence, was Up the River, directed by John Ford and starring Spencer Tracy and Humphrey Bogart. Racket Busters, again starring Humphrey Bogart, this time in a gangster propaganda film. Set their cameras on the firing line to bring you the thrilling, authentic story of America's ace racket buster, a bolt of million volt drama based upon the official court records of the special rackets prosecutions in New York City. Norman Mackey and Miss Mackey were brother and sister, and although Mr. Mackey done other things with him work, the Palace Cinema was very much a family-run business. Norman and his brother Jim had to learn everything to help out while Miss Mackey was not at work. They dealt with the ordering of the films, all the vendors and the projectors. They dealt with all the customers that came in, and the occasional complaints if the movie wasn't up to scratch. The 8th of May, 1945. Winston Churchill addresses the nation. At 2.41 a.m. at General Eisenhower's headquarters, General Jodl, the representative of the German High Command and of Grand Admiral Dönitz, the designated head of the German state, signed the act of unconditional surrender of all German land sea and air forces in Europe to the Allied Expeditionary Forces and simultaneously to the Soviet High Command. Hostilities will end officially at one minute after midnight tonight, Tuesday the 8th of May. Although hostilities with Japan did not officially end until the 2nd of September 1945, marking the official end of World War II. The unconditional surrender of the German forces was a huge victory for the Allies and was cause for celebration throughout the nation. 
World War II was one of the most horrific times in human history. The heroism and bravery of the men and women who risked it all in the name of freedom will always be remembered. It is to them we owe everything. In an interview conducted by myself in Burnt Island, Miss Jan Agnew, who is an absolute delight to speak with, discussed her memories of Burnt Island during the war. An incendiary bomb dropped in the back of the janitor's house and we were so disappointed it wasn't the school. It shows you how things go. And then there was three dropped in the front of the bin and because the, the German plane had been injured and it, it, didn't, it had too much of a load to get over the bin, so it dropped his bombs. And there was two that went off, one didn't. And it was, it was a time bomb and I had to wait a few days before you could get that to go off. And of course we were all in school when it went off and the ceilings began to fall. <laughs> but that was all we had. Okay. That really, we had. We were very, very lucky. But we still had, and the thing is, the siren was on top of the picture house. The warning siren was yeah, in there. Yeah. And my bedroom was right next door to it. Right from wall to wall. <laughs> so you wouldn't have missed it then? We never missed it. I had to get everything and my mother got all the deed boxes and everything out and up to the shelter. So, in the picture house, it was, those bombs were dropped when a friend of mine and myself were in the pictures. And our mothers were out in the street looking for us. So couldn't find us, didn't know where we were. That's where we were, in the picture house. Oh, it was, uh, when we got through it. I don't know how my mother made out, but we got through it. After the war, the new Palace Cinema became hugely popular, with people from neighbouring towns Kinghorn and Aberdour coming to see hit movies and queues down the street. The Palace Cinema was the place to be. Throughout its lifetime, the Palace Cinema would have seen many classic movies that are still praised today, including Twelve Angry Men, Citizen Kane, It's a Wonderful Life, and many more. Now, I have an interview with Bill from Burnt Island's local newspaper, The Borough Buzz talking about his memories of the palace. Well, what I, I remember most is uh, when I was uh, very young. The immediate uh, post-war years, and I was uh, one of five siblings. I was the second oldest. I had two brothers and two sisters. Now, at that time, uh, my my father worked in the South Dockyard, but we were a working class family, lived in a council house, and when television was uh, becoming uh, a little bit more popular in the early 50s, it's not every family that uh, could afford the TV, and at that yeah. time it was black and white anyway. So the cinema was really an important uh form of entertainment in the town. And I, I can remember going there uh, <coughs> as, as a kid, uh, and it was mainly the matinee that we went to. And I think it cost a time a sixpence to get in on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, the manageress, whom uh, a lot of people refer to Miss Mackey, she was a real dragon. And she was very, very strict with the kids at the uh, Saturday matinee. And lo and behold, if you stepped out of line, she even uh, didn't allow 
access to the gents' toilet for the boys. And we were actually forced to go out the front door and have a pee in the gutter. That's how bad she was. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, we we used to... Uh, it, it was fantastic entertainment. You know, you would go in... Uh, you'd have to take your own sweeties with you. Uh, early on, of course, uh, sugar was still rationed. But the kiosk there had very limited supplies of confectionery, and everything they had was very expensive. So you took everything yourself. They had uh, <coughs> the girls selling ice cream during the interval. And my sister actually had a, a job there once. Uh, selling ice cream. She has a few stories to tell about that as well. But what, what I remember about the, the cinema itself was it always started with passing news uh, and then you you got trailers, then you had uh, the main film and there was always an interval in the middle and that was when you could go and buy your ice cream or go for a, a pee in the gutter. <laughs> But uh, the other thing I remember also was that it was a, a great source of entertainment for my parents. My sister, my older sister and I, used to have to look after our younger brothers and sisters. Uh, while my mum and dad went to the cinema maybe on a Monday or a Tuesday evening. Now, this again, it demonstrates how important it was as far as entertainment was concerned for working class people at that time. A big thank you to Bill for taking the time to talk with me and also for helping tremendously with the creation of this production. Eventually, with the growing popularity of household televisions, people grew out of the need to go to the cinema and with the retirement of Miss Mackey, it wasn't long until the Palace Cinema closed putting an end to the phenomenal history of this cinema. Disaster strikes as the original palace cinema on the Kirkgate is set on fire. The original palace had a tremendous history, starting off as a church of Scotland, and after a break from the Scottish church and a parish church being built across the road, it served as the cinema during the First World War. It then served as a badminton, boxing and athletic centre. Mr James Ferguson then bought the building, using it to store building supplies. The fire destroyed 134 years of history. The bell tower of the palace and the entrance can still be seen on the corner of the Kirkgate and East Leven Street in a monumental garden. As for the port, after it closed as a cinema in 1939, British Road Services bought the building and then by Pickfords and was used as storage. Alterations were made internally to the building and then became an amusements arcade, run initially by the Salvona family and then by John Cooper until that too eventually closed. The port still stands, but now is converted flats. It is now listed as a site of historical importance due to it being one of Scotland's first purpose-built cinemas. Due to this, the front of the building remains in a pretty similar state to its original appearance, with a fresh look of paint. You can still see the building from the high street. In a remarkable but devastating disaster, the new Palace Cinema was also set alight and lost its history much like its predecessor, 
but this time in the hands of arson. This is ironic, as the cinema had over 1,000 ashtrays next to every seat within. After Miss Mackey retired, the cinema only ran on for a short while, as they could not compete with the television. The costs for running the cinema were just too high, and not enough people were paying to see the films. Even the advent of midnight movies could not save the picture palace. It ran as an amusements arcade until the fire in 1985, which destroyed almost everything. Due to unfortunate circumstances, the building fell into the hands of developers that did not respond to the pleas of the locals to at least get the facade in a presentable manner. By 2008, and after almost a quarter century of being unoccupied, Fife Council issued a dangerous building notice, and the palace was completely demolished in May 2008. Fortunately, Douglas Spears, an archaeologist from Fife Council, managed to salvage one of the stained glass windows with the iconic reindeer within the pane that was seen throughout the palace. The building site still requires redevelopment. Miss Mackey started her career in the original Picture Palace as a projectionist and concluded it with her retirement as a manager in the Palace Cinema Picture Palace. She worked in the cinema industry within her community for over 45 years. This concludes the story of the cinemas of Burnt Island. I sincerely hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed the telling and the learning of this fascinating story of one of our local boroughs. Finally, I would like to say a huge thank you to everyone that helped in making this production possible. First and foremost to Norman Mackey, the brother of Miss A.C. Mackey, Anne Crammond Mackey who through a series of interviews and newspaper articles throughout his life documented essentially everything that you've heard here today. Norman sadly is no longer with us. He passed away on the 14th of June 2008 at the age of 95. Also a big thank you to Bill from the Burnt Island local newspaper, The Borough Buzz, who kindly agreed to be interviewed about his memories of the second palace cinema and made my time researching so much easier and to Jan Agnew, who was willing to share her memories and was very kind and a delight to speak with. And finally, the Burnt Island Heritage Trust, to whom I am indebted, as they provided a huge amount of information and all of the documentation used to create this show. You can visit the Heritage Trust at number 4 Kirkgate in Burnt Island, just off the High Street.